You are listening to Hit Play, Not Pause, a feisty menopause podcast for active, performance-minded women. I am your host, Celine Yeager. Each week, I bring you advice from athletes, scientists, researchers, and other experts to help you feel and perform your best, no matter what your hormones are doing. This show is a production of Live Feisty Media. Hit Play, Not Pause is proud to be sponsored by Noon Hydration in 2021. I have been a huge fan of Noon for well over a decade. They have products for immunity, recovery, getting a good night's rest, and I absolutely swear by their Podium series, which include branched-chain amino acids that are super important for women during and after menopause. So show your support and head over to noonlife.com. That's noon, N-U-U-N, life, one word. And use the code FEISTYMENOPAUSE, again, one word, with a capital F and a capital M, for 30%, yes, 30% off of all of Noon's amazing products. Again, noonlife.com, use the code FEISTYMENOPAUSE, with a capital F and a capital M, and get 30% off of anything you want. Check it out. Hi folks, Sarah here, the founder of Live Feisty Media, the company that produces the podcast you are currently listening to. I just wanted to jump in here and invite you to our latest initiative here at Live Feisty, the Feisty Women's Performance Summit. On March 26th to 28th, we will be serving up a virtual summit like no other, designed specifically for active feisty women or anyone who wants to know how women can get the best out of our bodies throughout our lives. I think we all kind of figured out by now that a lot of sports and nutrition science studies, product and performance research is done on men and are a little confused maybe about what actually applies to us as women. So we collected experts from several arenas, physiology, psychology, nutrition science and social sciences to get some answers. The Feisty Women's Performance Summit includes 20 educational sessions plus networking events, group workouts, and an expo full of supportive brands. I seriously hope you can join us on March 26th to 28th, 2021. Tickets are only $149, and all sessions will be recorded and can be viewed up to two weeks after the event. For more information or to sign up, go to womensperformancesummit.com. The link will be in the show notes, of course. That's womensperformancesummit.com. See you there, feisty friends. Hello, strong, feisty women. So this week's show is inspired by conversations that we've been having in our social media channels. And while I'm thinking of it, if you haven't joined our social media channels, I definitely encourage you to do so. We are at Feisty Menopause on Instagram and Facebook, and we have literally thousands of women at this point helping other women in there. It's been super cool to watch this community grow, and I absolutely, if you like the show, I encourage you to come on in, join us, and have some conversations with us because it's really productive and it's supportive and it's just a really great place to be. So that's Feisty Menopause on Instagram and on Facebook. So because like I was saying, those conversations inspire many shows like the one you're going to hear today. I have heard from a number of people, like a lot of women, that they have always been super motivated and up at 530 in the morning and in the pool by six and just really driven. And then they hit their menopausal years and their get up and go has sort of got up and went, as they say. They, they don't have the same spark. And some, like Coach Linda Rowan, who I had on a couple of weeks ago, think maybe they're just done. You know, they're, they're over it. They think, okay, well, maybe, maybe I'm not like that anymore. Maybe I don't, I don't do this athletic stuff anymore. And that's really not the case. You know, there is light on the other end of that tunnel, but it can be, can be a kind of dark tunnel. And it can be unnerving and disorienting and just a drag. So this week, I sat down with psychologist Dr. Lisa Lewis. 
She has a background in sport and exercise psychology and is particularly well-versed in the topic of motivation. And if you're wondering where your mojo went since hitting menopause, Lisa has lots of insights and strategies for finding it and getting it back on track. And you can find more about her at drlewisconsulting.com. Before we get to the show, I have just one announcement. Live Feisty, the women-owned and operated media company that brings you this show and others, is putting on its very first Women's Performance Summit. It's virtual this year because obvious reasons, but it is jam-packed with A-list presenters. We've got Stacey Sims, Myrna Valerio, Alexandra Hochin, yours truly, I'll be speaking. There are sessions on nutrition, diet, culture, imposter syndrome, pregnancy, periods, gut health, and much, much, much more. It's going to be the place to be. It's March 26th through the 28th. Come join us for that. Check it out. You can see the whole lineup at womensperformancesummit.com. Highly encourage you to get your ticket and join us. Okay, that is all from me. Let's get to the show. You know, so it was funny in preparation for this conversation. You know, I do what you always do. You go on Google and you start researching. And literally, like, does menopause cause laziness is one of the first questions that popped up. Wow. And then it was, can menopause cause apathy? Can menopause cause lack of motivation? motivation? Mm -hmm. And I hear from so many of the women in our channels and our audience that they just don't feel like doing what they always did. They just don't feel, you know, they're runners, they're triathletes, they're super, super active women. And then all of a sudden it's like someone just take their mojo and went click. Right. You know, and like it's a switch. So any insights on, on is it all hormonal? Is it all just this this shift? I'm sure that hormones have a very large part to play in it. Um I also think just transitioning to a different time in your life when you feel differently and what your baseline is from day to day. I think that there's a whole psychology to that as well of, especially if you're somebody who feels good and has a lot of energy and expends a lot of energy in your activities. It probably feels sad or something to grieve to lose that as part of your identity and part of your everyday experience. So then I think there's also grappling with that. So having less energy, but then also am I a person who doesn't have energy? And like, what, what does that mean about me? I think can shake people as well. Um, and so then if that was one of your sources of energy or one of your sources of motivation, which is, it is a type of motivation, integrated regulation is specifically a type of motivation where we care about doing things because it enables us to like enact who we are out in the world, like be who That's we are. Integrated regulation. Is yeah, it's a type of motivation. It's it's not purely intrinsic. You're not doing it for the joy of doing it, but you're doing it because it allows you to demonstrate who you are out in the world. So let's say, for example, you're a runner. You you probably have these core values within you of like diligence and persistence and being organized and structured in your workouts. And so when you run a half marathon or you do an Ironman or whatever you do, that allows you to like be you out in the world. So even though you might not be joyous and happy every moment that you're training for it or doing the race, you're highly motivated to do it because it's you doing you. And so I think when this energy, the energy levels go away or these feelings of like apathy, and then you can't perform you, you can't enact these parts of your personality that feel so important to you. I, I think that can be really deflating. Is that a, is that a place where people can sort of step in immediately and do things before they go into a spiral or it becomes sort of a more of a slide? Is, that, is there something that... You know, you can sort of check yourself when you start feeling that way. Yeah. So I have two different responses to that. My first is it's okay to take a moment and be like, damn, like this is hard or this stinks or I hate this. That's totally okay. Um, I, but the second part I want to answer is yes, there are different, we have different tanks of fuel with motivation in them. So it's not just, you don't have one tank that's like, high or low on motivation. You don't lose it and have none 
or some days you have high, you have all different sources of motivation. And if one source of motivation is you, you know, demonstrating your personality as a runner or your identity as an athlete or a runner, and that's changing because of hormonal changes, what other resources do you have? So for example, one that I, I think sometimes speaks to women who are experiencing menopausal changes is another type of motivation called identified regulation, which is I may not feel like doing it. I may not enjoy doing it, but I value the outcome as being meaningful and, and being important. So for example, there's a, a long history of um, heart disease in my family. And I don't want that legacy to become mine. So even though I don't really feel like running and I've lost my mojo, I know that I need to exercise my heart. I know that I need to stay engaged with that. So that's going to help me to get my shoes on, help me to get out the door, help me to keep up with maybe not all the mileage I was doing, but enough to keep my heart healthy. So, you know, that's another resource. I think one area of motivation that sometimes gets a bad rap is external reward, reinforcing yourself, especially when you feel low on motivation or you're having a hard time. Like, don't be afraid to go back to the things that work for toddlers and pets and, <laughs> you know, all of us. <laughs> reward not where I thought yourself. you were going to go with that. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> if anybody out there who's, you know, had a toddler or has gotten a puppy or a small pet, like, you know that you have to start with reinforcing the behaviors that you want to see more of before they start to feel like personally meaningful or intrinsic to your little one or your pet. So so for somebody who used to be pretty intrinsically motivated and now that that tank seems to be lower than it than it yeah. used to be yeah. and the other tank seems to be running a little low. Yeah. Um, what what extrinsic motivations like what what does that actually look like? I mean in pre-covid and hopefully, fingers crossed, as we go forward, I would yeah. say, well, you know, sign up for something new, like sign up for something you haven't done before, event wise, right? Like yeah. you've always done, like that can be a great carrot. And I personally think it helps if it's something you haven't done before, because then you're not doing that comparison thing, right? It, mm-hmm. It's a little exciting and it's new. Are yeah, something novel. Yeah. Uh, there's so many ideas for reward or reinforcement. I mean, I, I've heard clients say to me, you know, I'm going to take myself shopping or buy myself a new pair of leggings online, or I'm going to take an afternoon off, you know, get a babysitter and catch up with friends on zoom or go out with friends. Or um, I think the important thing is to find out is to identify something that's meaningful for you personally. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I have a client who recently said she signed up for some dance classes at the, at the ballet school. She's, She's a powerlifting athlete, you know, it's, she has no background in ballet, but for her, that was like exciting and would have been challenging and rewarding and very stimulating where I'm sure plenty of other people are like, that's the last thing, you know, I would be interested in doing. So I think it's knowing what would actually be a carrot for you and then, and then structuring, okay, you know, when do I get this reward? Like, is it after practicing a habit for a couple of weeks? Is it if I hit a certain amount of, amount of mileage this month, you know, so create the structure for it. And then I pick a carrot that you're going to want to chase over that duration of time. Was there another tank of motivation? I thought you said there were four. There's like, there's, I think there's five. So if okay. I, you can think about like a spectrum. So on one end of the spectrum, you have a motivation, which means no motivation at all. And those people, like, they're not listening to this podcast. They have no problems. They have no issues with having no mojo because they're just, like, living their best life on the couch. That's my mom. (laughs) You just talked about my mother. She's a lovely (laughs) woman. But I've never met somebody more content to do nothing in my entire life. She's always like, where did you come from? I'm like, dad. (laughs) (laughs) So it's a non-issue for her, right? Yeah, non-issue. I often will say to people, you know, who say like, I have no motivation, like, what should I do? Or I've talked to coaches who will say like, people DM me or get in touch with me and say, I need help. I need help with motivation. I don't have it. I'm like those people have motivation because if they didn't, they wouldn't right. be contacting you. They oh, wouldn't be asking you for any help. That's so such a good point. These women it, who are talking to me have motivation. That's they why they're do. reaching out. Yeah, that's and it point. is identifying something positive to say you have it. 
We just have to figure out how to leverage it. We have to figure out what what is motivating you. Maybe it's not this really intrinsic joy of running at the moment. Right. But there's something because you're feeling angsty and you're reaching out to me. You know, there's a struggle there. So that energy is motivation. Perfect. Right. So a motivation's on one end of the spectrum. All the way at the other end of the spectrum is intrinsic motivation. Intrinsic motivation is you do it for no other reason than the internal state that gets created. So like people who bake and then they give it all away. Like they don't do it to eat the cookie. They do it for the joy of the process, right? So when it comes to sport or sometimes, you know, running, other things like that, like people experience intrinsic motivation, but often in fitness and nutrition, you're not really doing it for the joy. You're doing it for some kind of outcome, some external reason. And that's not bad. So there are these extrinsic motives in the middle. And there's a lot of different ways to leverage those. So we've talked about, you know, the step down from intrinsic motivation is integrated regulation, where it's like people who talk about, if you ever talk to somebody who's done a Tough mutter, they're like, oh, I sprained my ankle and I couldn't walk for three days and it was freezing cold and I fell six times. It sounds like a nightmare. And they're mm-hmm. like, I love it. I can't wait to do it again. I'm training for it. Right. So it's not the internal state of joy that got created. It's them engaging that process and getting to getting to demonstrate parts of their personality and their values that are really meaningful to them. Right. Uh, The next step down below that is identified regulation. Identified regulation is I don't love I don't love cardio, but I want a healthy heart. I want my kids to see me being physically active. That matters a lot to me. So I'm going to do it. You know, I don't like weightlifting, but all the women in my family develop osteoporosis and I want to get out in front of it. So I'm going to come in and I'm going to do what you tell me to do. That that has a lot of power, I think. And in particular for women who are like, I don't feel motivated to go out and run for the joy of it or but like I need to do this, you know. So so that's really what they're talking about. I want the outcome. I want the external thing that gets created, that reward. Whether that is a feeling or appearance or whatever, um, it still matters. And then underneath that, like less, a little more externally regulated is called introjected regulation. And introjected regulation is when you do something in order to feel pride or to avoid feeling guilt or shame. Oh, okay. Right. So if you're like, I don't want anything... Yeah. <laughs> Anybody who's been raised Catholic is like, ah, this is the, yeah, this, I get it. This is the Catholic motivation. I actually used to say that very often. And one, one day I was, I was in a room of mixed company where I don't think everybody knew that I was raised Catholic and they were like, you gotta be careful with that example. But per- yes, Celine, like it's that, you know, I'm going to get up and go to g- the gym because if I don't go, I'm going to feel crappy. Or like, if I don't go, my friends are going to be like, where were you, you know, and I sort of let them down or whatever. And then if I do go, I'm going to feel awesome. You know, I'm going to feel proud of myself. I'm going to feel better. I know I am after I do it. So that doesn't have, it can't stand the test of time. You can't live on that alone. Eventually guilt and shame wears off as all good Catholics know. (laughs) But (laughs) here and there, you know, if, if once a month, twice a month, that's what gets you up and gets you going to help you maintain a consistent habit, you know, use it when you need to use it. And then all the way at the bottom there in between no motivation and interjected regulation is that external regulation, which is like reward punishment. You know, I'm going to take myself shopping or I'm going to, you know, hang out in bed and take a rest day if I get through this workout or whatever the case may be. So The way to think about this spectrum is not more or less motivation. It's how much autonomy the person feels they have. So autonomy means I'm the boss of myself. I'm making my own choices. I'm acting my own volition. I'm living my best life. When we are low on lower uh, on the spectrum, we feel more controlled. We feel less autonomous. We feel I'm just doing that. So I can get the free t-shirt at the end of it, or (laughs) I'm just, I'm just paying my taxes. So the IRS doesn't come to get me, you know, that, that kind of feeling when we feel a lot of autonomy, we feel like I, I want to seek this out because it makes me happy. It's congruent with my values and goals. It allows me to like demonstrate my competencies and 
Um, I think this is important to me. So it's not about having less or more. It's about what what's helping you to feel like you're the captain of your own ship um, and that you're pursuing goals and moving forward in your life. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and sometimes when you're, when you're motivated by more externally regulated things, it's not necessarily bad. It's just that it doesn't have staying power over time. We want motivation to become more internalized and more autonomous right, so that it right. can persist. So I think, I'll, you know, your audience that's listening and saying like, man, I was up there. I was really integrated. I was really feeling my mojo. I was in my thing. And then I get this brick to the face. And what do I do about that? Mm-hmm. You know, so there's a reorganizing, there's an adjustment because the resources have changed. There's changes in hormones. There might be changes in energy level. There might be changes in um, ability to gain muscle mass or stay lean or whatever the case may be. So it's almost like you got to recognize it and then you've got to reassess. Like, what do I care about right now? What does get me up and out? And how mm-hmm. can I leverage those things to get me back or to move me forward from this. Yeah, and, and sort of springboarding off that while you were talking, I was also thinking that, you know, many people, especially athletic people, are outcome oriented. You know, they're, they're, they are motivated by a finishing time or a finishing place or a sort of status of, that that ensues. And when that takes a hit, they don't get the same joy and and pride and all those other motivating factors yeah. from that that same thing. So you know, I hear you that you know you have to sort of go somewhere on the spectrum and turn up another knob. Mm-hmm. But that may be easier said than done for someone who self-identifies as a top 10 runner or so you know what I'm Yes. What I'm saying? Yeah, so I think you're making a great point, which is out people have a tendency to focus on the outcome of the goal. Like what's the Mm -hmm. time at the end or what's my body weight? Um, And I I do think that there's ways to kind of audit how you're thinking about it and what kind of numbers you're looking at. So if there was a time that you were able to have or a body mass that you were able to maintain and now you're not able to do that, well, can you look at what's average or, or what is the normal expectation at your age or at your height or with your injury history or limitations that you have? Like, can you reorient yourself? Because your running time when you are 25 is probably different than when you're 65. And it may be time menopause, right? It may be time to just like readjust that. Um, so I do think there's ways of like getting external feedback and checking in with, some kind of professional uh, or just the internet maybe about like, what is a reasonable expectation for me? And am I now in this zone? I mean, even though we don't have a line of like, when you're 60, this happens. And when you're 50, this happens. But, but is it time for you personally that you need to adjust what is, what's reasonable for you? Or to your earlier point, find another outlet that, um, does make you feel motivated inside. Like if you, if you maybe is it possible that you have just exhausted that thing, that you've taken that thing to its to its point, and now maybe there's another thing that's parallel to it. Yeah. Could... Yes, and I think you know even to go back to the example of running, if you've been running for many many years and you have some nagging injuries and you're mm-hmm. getting a little bit older and it's starting to cause more wear and tear on your body, like that might be an awesome transition into cycling or swimming, which is going to put a lot less stress on the body, but it's still going to be in a butt kicking workout where there's a right. lot of room for improvement right. where you're because still you're starting later in life and you can make those improvements. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's that, that is, that is, that's good advice, doctor. <laughs> I, think, I, think that... <laughs> I you know, a lot. this sort of transitions, I think, into one of the other things that I know that you talk a lot about that I think is interesting is negativity bias, mm. you know, like resistance to change, negativity bias. Menopause is sometimes called, quote unquote, the change, right? Mm-hmm. And people don't like change. And I think we especially don't like the changes that we don't choose. Yeah. And I'm not sure anybody would choose crappy sleep, hot flashes, night sweats. You know, no, like thank you. All the things yeah. that come so... Um, can you, can you unpack that a little bit for audience? Like how to, 
how to cope when you're in that space where there's yeah. changes happening and you don't want the change to happening and maybe you're focusing on the negative things because they're so in your face. Yeah. So I get asked to talk about negativity a lot. And um, in the last handful of talks I've done or, or workshops I've done, I've grouped together resistance to change, negativity, and ambivalence. Um, and that's RNA. And the way that I think about it is it's part of us. It is part of us to resist change. It is part of us to have a natural inclination towards negativity. That and is it's a part, part of, of us all? It is. It's called the negativity bias, and it's a thing. Um, I think 2011 was the first, like, uh, paper on it. Oh, but so basically, is this if you got, like, 100 reviews of something and one bad one, you focus on that bad one? Is that's that like... one way. Yeah, that's okay. called, like, arbitrary inference or overgeneralization. So there's all different kinds of ways that people can think negatively. And if you're interested in this, David Burns wrote a pretty big book called The Feeling Good Handbook. And it is... It comes from cognitive behavioral therapy. Aaron Beck is the father of that. But then David Burns came along and said, there's actually styles. Like people have ways that they tend to be negative. And it could be catastrophizing. Like oh, you practice healthy That's habits. For That's <laughs> so you know what that one is? Yeah. Blow it up after one oh, thing so happens. Everything is ending always. Yes, that's there's, okay. there's arbitrary inference, which is like 99 pieces of feedback were positive. One feedback was constructive. All you can do is think about and focus on that. And it colors that, your whole experience. There's shoulds. You know, I should be this weight. I mm. should be this shape. I should be this dress size. I should be running at this. Shooting right, on that's yourself. negativity too. Is, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So like overly rigid thinking that that is skewed towards the negative. And this is part of the human condition. Okay. And okay. The, the hypothesis is that comes, it, it, it has an evolutionary purpose. In other words, if we're always looking out for the bad, it could help us to protect ourselves and improve survival. This is kind of a theoretical way of looking at it. But I think what's important to, to, to take in is, it's kind of a set point. Some people tend more negatively than others, but for the most part, if we're given a hundred things and, and some are new, 33 are neutral and 33 are positive and 33 are negative, we're going to tend towards the negative. Um, and so what that means is that we have to counterbalance that and the way in order to come into balance, in order to be objective, in order to avoid rigid thinking, We've got to tend towards the positive. And most people don't do that. You can train yourself to do that. And you can train yourself to do that by practicing optimism, by practicing gratitude, by practicing skills that have been referred to as like mental agility or mental toughness, where you're kind of running a check on your own thinking. Um, uh, so for example, if you have a thought like, you know, um, I lost it. I have no more motivation. I'll never be able to run again. I'm going to like, this change is going to just totally like stop me from doing all the things I love. You know, you might say that sounds a little intense. <laughs> it sounds like I'm feeling really bummed, but like, are my feelings facts? <laughs> and a couple of ways to check it is to say, okay, mm -hmm. let's see. That's not true because can I come up with any arguments to the contrary? That's not true because, you know, I came oh, back from running after I had my babies. I managed to keep training when my job was like 60 hours a week and sucking me dry. You know, I've been able to be resilient through other big things in life. So maybe I can do this for that too. Um, and then to look at, well, what are the strengths I have? If I'm feeling apathy and I'm, I'm not like loving my workouts, what, what are my personal strengths that I could use to kind of push me through that so maybe you're somebody the rna is, is the, the ambivalence the thank RNA you for bringing me back to that the so ambivalence Apathy is very close to ambivalence ambivalence is i want to change but i don't want to change i want a six-pack i love tacos you know oh, i want to mm -hmm. be a person who who runs right. 20 miles a week i love netflix and my happy place is like under a blanket on my couch all winter long so it's part of the human condition that we want to change, but we don't. We want to get improve, but we don't. Mm -hmm. And I think this is a resistance is, that is like from resistance, resistance is like pushing back. So like resistance is 
when you, you say, okay, I want to hire coach Celine and I want her to help me to get leaner or get active or whatever, here's my money. And I'll meet with you and listen to everything you say. And then the second time we meet, I say, yeah, well, you had said, you know, maybe to kind of track what I was eating. And I was kind of like, maybe that's not a good thing. And maybe I shouldn't do that. Or maybe for me, you know, that's not good. Or maybe, maybe I should just do this keto thing. Like I've been reading a lot about keto and like, maybe I should try that. So it's just like, you want it, you want the advice, you want to change, but then you resist it. So this could be criticism. It could be questioning expertise. It could be finding faults or flaws, reasons why not to. Sigmund Freud was the first person to use this expression that when you're engaged with someone in therapy, they want help and they want to change, but then they will resist you. And when they do, that's important. Whatever they're resisting, there's probably something going on there. Uh, that is important to lean into. So resistance to change is normal. And um, negativity and this bias towards the negative is normal. You counterbalance it with being more strengths-based or positive-based. And then ambivalence is normal. It's, it's part of the human condition. And so what we can do about that is acknowledge it. It's there. Like, a meme that I always use in presentations is one of Jack Black and he's like standing in this really tight sweater and he's like, I want a hot body, but I also want tacos. And like, that's the heart of ambivalence, you know? And I think most people who are out there get that. Like, yeah, I want to look lean and feel really good, but I love my fill in the blank, you know, whatever <laughs> that delicious thing is that you enjoy. Um, and so what to do about ambivalence is to recognize both parts that, that both parts have value that you don't have to change if you don't want to, but human beings baked into our crust have this desire to change. So there's always going to be this tension or this rub there. And what can we do as supportive people or healthcare practitioners to help lean them towards change, to help them tip the scales and identify the benefits of changing being more important as staying the same. So in, so in the case of menopause, which is this change that's being imposed on you, and let's be mm. clear, many changes in life are imposed upon us, right? Like, how, what are you leaning into? Yeah, so are you, I, yeah, so, um, you understand my question? I, yeah. I think, and I'm not there yet, but what I see is like accepting stuff that you wish weren't true accepting there may be some new limitations on your energy level or what your body can do or what you're interested in doing. Like there may be people out there who spent years of their life, like totally comfortable with being in a little bit of discomfort because they're always kind of sore from training really hard or spend multiple hours a day, like in hunger because they're okay with, you know, keeping their calories lower. Whereas maybe that they just, it's not as effortless or it, it causes other kinds of problems as they get older. So the ambivalence of like, I don't want to change the way I'm running or I don't want to change the way I'm eating, but not changing is causing problems. And there probably would be benefits but to right. changing. So right. it's right. helping right. The, right. The, the scales to sense. tilt, like the benefits outweigh the, the, the cons mm -hmm. to changing, I guess. Right. And the first step totally. of that is just sort of the acknowledgement that you're talking about. And also just maybe I totally having think a that's part, part of the process. That's OK. But but, then but I think that sitting you can in that. <laughs> sit in it so long yeah. and then most people are like, all right, enough is enough. I, I think where we get into trouble is when people say, like, I need to just stop complaining. I need to just stop being lazy. I need to suck it up and like push harder and try harder. And I think what that can do is lead to overuse injuries or wearing yourself down, burning yourself out, being really unhappy. So I do think there's more benefit in having, having your time in your pity party, like grieving. This is a thing. It's different now. And then, okay, so what am I going to do about it? You know, how can I make actionable change? That way you don't run yourself into the ground, but you're not stuck in the grief or the pity party either. And then there is there an assessment of the changes? Like, would it be beneficial to be like, okay, this is happening. This is how I'm feeling. These are the changes that mm -hmm. may help. And now what? Like, you know, like, which ones am I willing to do? Like, and why? You know, I mean, is this a whole chain of action that we're following? I think so that what you're describing would be like a conversation with, it could be a friend or 
a health coach or a nutritionist or a doctor or a personal trainer, but it's like, I would try to listen for what that person sounds most interested in, what they're the most jazzed about or what, or what they see as like the low hanging fruit, like the biggest, easiest thing that might be next. And then I'd say, it sounds like you're really feeling interested in working on how to keep up regular cardio, even though you can't pound out the same mileage at the same intensity. Does that sound right? Yeah, I really do. Yeah, I really do. I, I think I could use a couple swim lessons or maybe I should check out a spin class. Okay, tell me more. Like, where could we find that for, you know, and see if we can help them to then identify, okay, maybe I'll check out this little swim class or maybe I'll look into a Peloton or maybe I'll fr- try my friend's Peloton and see So then that way, you know, you'll hear some things and then I'll say something like, okay, so it sounds to me like the next thing you're going to do is try your friend's Peloton and go online and see about signing up for like a YMCA swim class. What do you think? You know, and then go ahead. Right. It's it's funny. What what you're saying is echoing so perfectly. A woman, you'll appreciate this, in one of our social groups said... She's always been an ultra mm-hmm. runner. She's like done long, long stuff, you know, marathons and beyond. And she had a 75 minute run on tap or something maybe even longer. And she got it done. And when she was done with it, she's like a little voice in her head said, yeah, I just don't want to do these long, slow runs anymore. And then she yeah. had another one and she just didn't want to do it. So instead of doing it, she did hill repeats and she was like, it was an awesome yeah. workout, but she was still tortured. Like she got on, like she, she talked about how loving all these other things that she was, like yeah. she was actively doing and actually enjoying, but still then saying that she didn't have this motive, you know, that she was totally lacking motivation in what had happened. And it was like such an interesting to watch it happen yeah. in black and white printed yeah. out on a screen was fascinating to me. Because everybody was like, well, it sounds like you actually do like working out. You just don't want to do the long stuff anymore. But that's just that loss of self-identification, right? That motivation tank seems like. But then, like, how much, How I guess what I'm asking with someone like that is how much of this motivation in some of those tanks depend on mm. our perception of what yeah, others so think there, of us? Yeah, so that's a good question. And there's a lot of factors playing into that woman's experience of there's however her body's feeling there's what her thoughts are, but then like, she's an athlete. So like, I'm going to do this thing, this hard thing, that's part of my training. And then not wanting to do that. Like, what does that mean about me? Or am I being a slacker? I don't know what her internal monologue is. But you're right, there is like that social comparison piece. To me, when I hear that story, what's awesome is that something was coming out from the inside of her, whether that was physiological, or cognitive of like, I don't like this, I don't want to do this. And she listened to it eventually. Like she had enough in respect for herself. Maybe the first time, eh, I don't know what that's about, but then maybe a couple more data points of that. And like, okay, let me adjust. And I think that's fantastic. That's a strength of that individual. And not everybody does that. You know, some people might force themselves to continue doing something they hate for another month, year, whatever, just because they think, they have to as a <laughs> right, runner right. or um, that people will know they didn't do it. Or I think there's just so many factors at play um, that it's hard for people to really pay attention to what their body is trying to tell them uh, instead of judging it. Like she could have judged it as like, I'm being lazy or I'm being a slacker. And maybe those were thoughts initially, but eventually like she, she took this experience as being data and like, what is this, what can this mean and how should I change it? And I think that's the part that's really awesome. It's totally mm-hmm. awesome. And I'd also like to hear a little bit of your thoughts about how menopause intersects midlife and the inherent stresses and changes and things that can happen in our daily lives at midlife, you know, kids growing older, parents mm-hmm. growing older, job stress, etc. that I, I feel like sometimes the lack of motivation is because you're just being crushed by everything else and you're not acknowledging the weight that you're Absolutely. Carrying. So you're, um, I teach developmental psychology at Northeastern University, which is just up the street here. And it's a class about life, you know, every chapter, Uh, Every week in the semester, we cover a a different phase. And midlife, 
I love to talk about midlife because number one, midlife is very different than it was 30, 40, 50 years ago because people have kids a little bit later. They're working a little bit longer. Their parents are living longer and therefore they may have big kids and older parents that they're taking care of at the same time as they're still working. Many more women are in the workforce now than they were decades ago. And when you're in your midlife, you're typically at the top. And trying to train for an Ironman. And trying to train for an Ironman. (laughs) And you're like at the peak of your career. So you're not in your 20s, like pushing papers around. You're probably at your highest level of like pay and responsibility and pressure as well. So Mm -hmm. these are like all big lifts that are all happening at the same time. So I think you have all these balls up in the air and you're sort of kicking ass in a lot of ways because... You know, you've been paying your bills and your mortgage for a while. If you, you know, you've been adulting for a while. You've been parenting for a while. You've been training for a while. So there's a lot of expertise. So then if a monkey wrench of hormonal changes and menopause comes along, you know, it can really like wreak havoc on something that you have worked for decades to make awesome. Um, and so I think that too can really mess up people's mojo and make them feel like they're just off and they can't catch up or they're not going to get back to the level of performance that they were at, or there's just so many stressors. You know, if I think about sending kids to college and then also supporting parents who may be cognitively impaired, physically impaired, may need financial assistance, like those, those are just such heavy lifts, not to mention a career. And then, and then your body deciding to make these major changes to physically, how you feel cognitively, how you perform your ability to rest and recover. Um, so I guess my answer... How do you help me see the light at the end of the tunnel? <laughs> uh, so I, Can you shine a flashlight yeah. over so there? <laughs> the end of the tunnel is one of the reasons why... I think one of the reasons why it probably is, is feels so frustrating is because of all the ass kicking that was going on prior to this, you know, prior to this experience. So I, I do think, again, there needs to be a moment of like, look at all the things that are going really, really well. Like if you didn't have kids and if your parents had passed away and you weren't having such a fabulous career, this would not be as intense as it is. And so you Mm. obviously have a lot of skills at working hard and building something and you can utilize all those skills to dealing with these changes. Not that they're reversible, but that you're resilient and you can rise to the occasion um, and, and work with all these resources that have helped you to build this life and all the balls that you do have up in the air. Yeah, that, that's a great point. A, a woman I talked to a few weeks ago said something very similar. She's like, all of that that you have used to build what all that stuff you did is still in you. You just need to sort of dust it off maybe and like, you know, use some of it again to, to, to overcome a different hurdle, which is, you know, this menopause puzzle or this midlife situation. Right. Yeah, because there's actually um, people report the highest levels of satisfaction in old age Mm -hmm. and to some degree in middle age. It's like you've jumped through so many hoops, (laughs) you've completed so many projects, whether they be family or work or whatever. And there does become more time to like enjoy you. And the person that you've created and the habits that you've built um, and kind of like the fruits of your labor. So I think menopause happens like right in that zone where um, you've got all these balls up in the air and you're coming closer to, I don't know, maybe thinking about working less or maybe the kids becoming financially independent and out of the house or, you know, getting some relief in some ways. Um, so I think the timing of menopause probably could either come at a horrible, horrible, horrible <laughs> time or while things are starting to relax and right, feel a little right. bit easier. Do you have uh, daily tips, strategies, ideas that you that you that you advise to people to sort of take that that RNA during midlife and keep mm. it leaning towards that positive, more positive bias? Keep it leaning towards that more. I mean, are there things that. You know, just simple things that people can sort of check off their box every day to to start it off on the right foot and to keep that, you know, find the tank of motivation that they can they can jump into that day. Mm, that's a good question. 
I do have some private clients who start the day by writing down an intention. Like, here's what I want to get out of today. People mm-hmm. who are like very structured um, and want like quantitative, like they want to get to the end of their day and know like they did the thing or they, that they were productive. Mm-hmm. Um, some people write that down. Um, I really think it's about a life that building a life that has habits and um, behaviors that allow you to demonstrate your competencies and do things that make you feel good. So what are the, like for me, getting to the gym, getting a little bit sweaty, that really is, it actually is more important to my mental health, I feel at this point than to my physical health. Like I could probably skip a couple more days at the gym and I would maintain my fitness probably. But psychologically, it really sets me up to like pay attention, be able to sit still, be able to handle adversity if I've gotten after it first thing in the morning. That's me, you know, not everybody is that way, but but for me, I, that is one way I can counterbalance feeling exhausted, feeling negative, feeling, you know, frustrated by what's going on at the pandem- with the pandemic or whatever mm-hmm. else. I've learned over the last year, like, that's just like a vitamin. I, I cannot give that up right. <laughs> for right. me. I, respect um, I think for other people, it, you know, it, it might be meditating. It might be reading a book. It might be spending time on Zoom with a friend or a family member. Um, there might be other ways that you invest in yourself, but that you recognize it as being meaningful and important and that you respect yourself enough to give, you, give yourself that daily dose or that regular dose of it. Right, right. Any other thoughts that you have on keeping motivation when you feel like motivation? Keeping motivation. I do think you should talk about it. You know, you should have somebody. Sigmund Freud said you don't need therapy if you have a best friend. So if you don't have a a strength coach or a nutrition coach or you don't need that, like you could if you have a, a support group or a Facebook group or a group of friends just talking about what you're experiencing and what it feels like and waxing and waning and motivation I think that can be really helpful because it shines a light on the fact that it's real. And when you talk about it, you hear yourself say the words and then you naturally want to problem solve it or like brainstorm how to problem solve it. And so having that other set of ears there allows you just to have something to bounce off of. And it might help you to get to a place where you make a plan around something or your friend says, girl, that is totally normal. Like stop beating yourself up about you know, it's just like a checkpoint. Um, so I think I think we all need those because if you just go round and round in your own head, you it's can really beat yourself up sometimes. really bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It looks like yeah. a tornado went through. It's much better. To... <laughs> but I, but I, I do. I think that I think that's what you know. We have a Facebook channel and an Instagram and a membership, and it. And I think that what you're saying is mm. that is that space for these women and I can see it happening like that runner it was just it was so endearing to watch that unfold you know because she yeah she worked that out herself and then and then got the affirmation from people who are living through the same life period right like well it sounds like you've already figured out but you're on a good path and this is what I do you know like it's just and that I think builds on itself and then Celine, I like what you just said, which is yeah. like you make a space, like whether that space is on Facebook or Instagram or with your friends, however it is that you somehow find a space to talk about it or write about it. Yeah, that's good. Women need spaces of their own. If, if Yeah, they do. Yeah, yes, they, do. they do. And if you no matter where you are or how many people you live with, you need you need like minded people to share that space with. So I think that encouraging people to find that is probably the first, the first step, especially now, right? Especially now when yeah. I feel like oh, big time. Um, some of those natural interactions may be missing. You know, maybe you had that with a colleague at work and you don't really see them anymore. You know, and I think that a lot of people right now are feeling that really keenly. Like it's been a year, right? And we're all like, okay, it's been a year. And now the fatigue is really so it's, real. It's, it's real. Yeah. So yeah. don't be and just that up. your world gets smaller. <laughs> yeah. Like if you had, if you had girlfriends like at your Zumba class or in your running club or at the gym or whatever, like you've, we've lost that kind of acquaintance level, like 
being right. with our tribe kind of in a casual way, we've lost a lot of that. And so maybe the people that are in your house, they're not drinking the same Kool-Aid you are, or they're not dealing with the same developmental stuff, things that you are. Um, and so finding that outside in some way is really, really important. Yeah, really important. Well, I've really I could talk to you all day about motivation and and such, but I th I feel like this is this has given us a path to. Well, and you know a lot, and it sounds like what you have to offer and like spaces that you provide and conversations that you're having with women you work with are right on target. I spend a lot of time in my own head, and it's really great mm. to get out of my head and talk to people <laughs> like you. <laughs> I, I think a lot of women spend a lot of time in their own head. And I think they beat oh, themselves yeah. up way more about stuff like this. Like, what's wrong oh, with yeah. me? I used to be so motivated. And, um, you know, and I think it just helps to hear that it is okay to not feel like you're raring to go the same way. But yeah. that you are. The judgment. Yes, the judgment. But you are motivated because you care. You're showing you care. So now mm -hmm. let's just find uh, the way to tune it up somewhere else. You know, find yeah. that other knob. Turn that up a little bit. <laughs> Okay, that's our show. Join me next week for a deep dive into the benefits of yoga. And actually, a pretty deep dive into what yoga actually is with Carol Krukoff, who is a yoga therapist at Duke Integrative Medicine in Durham, North Carolina. This conversation made me think of yoga in a whole new light. So definitely tune in for that. And until then, as always... Stay feisty. You've been listening to Hit Play, Not Pause, a feisty menopause podcast for active, performance-minded women. I'm your host, Celine Yeager. The show is edited and produced by the strong, talented, and amazing women at Live Feisty Media. Follow us on social media at Feisty Menopause. And please help us spread the word. Screenshot and share this episode on your social media channels with the tag at Feisty Menopause. Share the show with your friends. And please subscribe, like, review, and rate this show wherever you get your podcasts. Word of mouth and good reviews make it easier for other listeners to find. Thanks for listening. And as always, stay feisty. Stay feisty.